As you're seated, you could take a copy of God's Word, and we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 39. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, the Bible, this morning, we have some lovely people that are coming down the aisles right now, and they have Bibles for you. And before they start heading back the other direction, I want to say this, you're going to need a Bible today. Do you trust that this is God's Word today? You're going to need God's Word for you today. And we're going to be reading an extensive part of God's word together as we continue in the story, in the journey of Joseph. We started this journey, this story last week, and Godfrey brought us into, into tune with the backstory that led up to Joseph's life. You see, Joseph just doesn't, isn't just a one-off story. He exists as part of a greater story that God is painting for us this morning. In this story, we see that God reached out and he chose Abraham and he chose Abraham's descendants after him. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who was renamed Israel, who had 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, one of which, one of which sons was Joseph. And that's what the story is about. The story is about a chosen family and specifically in this family, one that has received a dream of the Lord that he is going to do something through this young man. He's going to make him leader even in his own house. He's going to do something great through the youngest at the time, Joseph. And so as we get into studying the life of Joseph, we need to also remember what situation we are in today. Last week, Godfrey introduced us to Genesis chapter 37. And in Genesis chapter 37, we see something happens to Joseph. As he declares his dreams to his brothers, remember, he's the youngest at the time, and he's declaring this, these dreams to his brothers. And what happens? His 10 other brothers, they develop a heart of jealousy. They develop thoughts of hatred towards their younger brother. Those thoughts rooted in pride, those thoughts rooted in I'm going to get the blessing, the favor, those thoughts ultimately led them to two different options. Option one, all ten brothers, are we in agreement? We murder him. Option number two, no, let's, let's, let's toss him in this pit this dry well, but then let's sell him as a slave. Now, I don't know where you're at today or what your family dynamics are this morning, but if you can imagine not just one brother, but 10 of them all conspiring together against you in order to not not just do something mean to you, but to sell you as a slave. Not only that, they're going to take your favored robe and they're going to rip it up and dip it in goat's blood and lie to dad and say that an animal has eaten you. That's where we find Joseph as we start into Genesis chapter 39. We find him in a low pit. And in that low pit, God was with him. And God would lead him forward as he rises to a great seat. As we get into this, it's really important that we know the whole story. I think we could take for granted even the story of Joseph. Some of us have known it since we were kids. Others don't know who Joseph is. So what we're going to do is we're going to read an extensive piece of God's word together, 
And I'm going to actually invite the Spence family up. Why don't you come on up? Jeff and Lisa. And they're going to read God's word, the story of Joseph, all of chapter 39 and all of chapter 40. But what I want to do is I want us to pray as we open up God's word, to take a stance of humility and ask him to teach us. Let's pray. Our Father, Lord God, as we open your word, as we examine the life of Joseph, and how he responded to his difficult circumstances. Lord God, I pray that you would teach us how to respond to our difficult circumstances. Lord God, give us the humble faith that we see on display in the life of Joseph. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jeff. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt... And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him to the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord had caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in the sight and attended him, and he made him an overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him an overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field, so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was a handsome man in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I had lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his, her master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to lie with me, but as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife had spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, in the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's care, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker 
committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody, and one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled, so he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the, cup, the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me in, into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. <clears throat> in three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among the, his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Thank you, Jeff. And Lisa, why don't we thank them for reading God's word for us today? Today's sermon, the title is this, A Humble Faith. And we're going to examine the story of Joseph, some of the things that we just heard about this story of Joseph that might be new to some of us, all right? And we're going to see what, what's going on in Joseph's life. And as I bring up this word humility, I just want to have a little bit of clarity, Okay, I think that some people, when they think of humility, put it in like a type of person that is humble. They might think of a person that is humble that, that in the way that they dress. This person might dress plainly. Or maybe they're a quiet person or a shy person. Not, not, not confident kind of a person, but a humble person. Or a person with a very simple or, or humble life where eh, you know, not much takes place. Okay, but if, if that's true, 
And we're pointing to Joseph as an example of humility. Then Joseph ticks none of those boxes. He wasn't a plain dresser. He wore the robe that was given to him from his father. He wasn't timid. He wasn't shy. He was boisterous. And he didn't have an uneventful life. If we continue with this story, just look at, just look at what happens in, verse, in chapter 41. In chapter 41, after he's been doing this jail time for a while, he is forgotten for two whole years. Let's think about why he's in jail. He's doing jail time. Okay? He's in jail under false accusations of being a rapist. Okay? This is a difficult time in Joseph's life. And he has answered a dream to his friends, those he looked after on a daily basis. And what has happened? His friend has forgotten him for two whole years. But then Pharaoh dreamed. In verse 14, Pharaoh is looking for people who will give him an answer for what this dream means that has disturbed him. And then Pharaoh, listening to his cupbearer, Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. So here's Joseph's life. He's been going through turmoil since he's gotten this dream, since his brothers have been jealous and hated and ultimately sold him as a slave. He rises up the ranks of being a slave only to be put into prison under false accusations because he was faithful to God. And in prison, he rises up the ranks only to be forgotten in prison. At this point, it'd be easy for him to be discouraged. It'd be easy for him to be a man that had kind of given up on God and given up on God's vision for his life. But what does he say when he is meeting Pharaoh? He says this in verse 16. Pharaoh, it's not me. It's not in me. Okay, so at this moment, he, he's like, it's not about me. I have this gift of interpreting dreams. This gift, the power in it is not me. It's who? What, what does he say next? God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. You need to understand what's going on here. Pharaoh, he's the biggest dude around. I mean, in Joseph's realm of understanding, he knows Pharaoh as the greatest man that there is. And he is coming from a pit, a prison, in order to talk to Pharaoh. And you have to also understand something else. Pharaoh is worshipped like a deity. But he said, hey, hey, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, my God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, my God is going to give you a favorable answer. Keep in mind, he hasn't even heard the dream yet. Why does he have such confidence he goes on to explain the dream. And then he keeps going further with confidence. He says, oh, and by the way, Pharaoh, this is how you should respond to the coming famine on the land. You should build storage houses. You should take this much grain. You should put it away. And at the end of all of this, him giving advice to the greatest man that he knew, coming from where? Coming from a prison, from a nobody, he has this boldness to declare God's going to do it. And this boldness to declare that God has revealed. And this boldness to give advice to this man. 
What is Pharaoh's response? Verse 38, Pharaoh said to his servants, where can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? See, God gets the glory because he's like, it's not about me. It's, it's God that's going to give you an answer. In verse 42, what's Pharaoh's response? Pharaoh took his signet ring, his signature, the sign of his authority from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. Joseph goes from a nobody in prison to ruling over the kingdom of Egypt. Why? He has a humble faith. He has a humble faith in God. The story continues in, in chapter 41, and he's blessed with his own family. But notice in, four, in, 50, excuse me, in, in verse 51 and 52, what he names his sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. He names them, God has made me forget all of my hardship. God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. What do we see here? We see he's not, he's not just being plain. He's not lacking confidence. He's not saying, I suck or I have no value. That's not humility. He's not, he's not lacking in confidence or in boldness. What is he doing? He's having confidence in who? In God. What is humility? It's a heart posture. It's a heart posture that comes from seeing oneself rightly, rightly in light of who God is. Okay? It's, not, it's not thinking, I have no value, because that's not what God says about you. It's not thinking, it's not thinking oh, I, I, woe is me, I'm going to think poor thoughts about myself. That's not what humility is. It's seeing myself rightly, rightly in light of who God says that he is and who I am. You see, pride is all about fantasy. Pride is, is all about a lie. I can. I can satisfy my heart's desires, my deepest longings. I can do that, and I will do that. See, that action's rooted in pride. I can deliver myself. I can save myself. My Righteousness will justify myself. Those are all prideful stances. Humility is seeing yourself rightly in light of God. I can't, but he can. I can't, no matter how hard I try, satisfy the longing that's within my heart. Only God can fill that hole. I can't do anything in my own strength to accomplish anything of eternal value. For apart from him, I can do nothing. Nothing. Even the breath that I breathe, the strength that I have, the gifts that I have, if I acknowledge where they come from, if I see myself rightly in light of God, I recognize that they come from who? God. My provider, my sustainer, my everything. Apart from him, I can do nothing. See, it's I can't, I won't, but he can and he will. And my confidence doesn't come from what I can do for myself, but in the almighty God who grants me confidence. It's the same confidence that we see in Joseph time and time again. Let's examine that timeline of his life just one more time so we can see this. Right behind me, you'll see that he starts in a place of favor. His siblings sell him. 
Okay? Kind of a low moment. Fair? Fair? All right? Then what? He works hard. He gets the, he gets the captain's favor. Then he, then he denies his boss's wife because he doesn't want to sin against God. Another pit. He works hard in the prison. Become head of the prison. Then what happens? He interprets dreams and he is in despair. He has been forgotten. And all of this is done to him unjustly. All of this somebody did to him because of their pride. Not because of his pride is he in the low pit. Then he receives the king's favor because of his faith again to be faithful to God. But why? Why? What's the heart behind Joseph's response in all of these things? Why, when, when he's unjustly made a slave, does he keep working hard? Why does Joseph, when, when he's tempted to indulge in a beautiful woman, say no, 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 over and over again as she throws herself at him? Why, when he's unjustly put in prison under rape charges, does he not give in and give up? Why? When he has the opportunity to glory in this gift of being a dream interpreter, does he say, no, no, it's not me, it's God? Why, after 13 years of getting dumped on, does he have the confidence in God to stand before the most mighty man that he would know and say, God will do this. By the way, you're not God, Pharaoh. He's going to give you the answer. How can he have that confidence? And how can he have the, the confidence, the humility, the humble confidence to be in a place of success and not go, look at me. But rather, God has made me. God has made me. God has made me. Why can he do this? The answer is he had a humble faith. Last week, we, we learned about the idea of what pride does. Pride consumes the heart, right? Pride consumes, therefore, the thoughts or, and then the actions, and ultimately, it consumes the life. Today, let's examine what the heart of humility is about. And let's look at what we learn from the life of Joseph about humility. Firstly, humble hearts trust God's great power and provision. In verse 41, we've seen this. He says, it's not in me, Pharaoh. It's not in me. It's God. I'm trusting God. In fact, I'm trusting God so much I'm going to tell you that before I hear your dream. That's how much I trust God. It's not in me. I trust God. Where does this humble trusting start, though? It starts in Joseph's life, and it starts in our lives by proximity. Being near to God. If you don't believe me, the, the, the chapter that Jeff was reading, chapter 39, says four different times. In verses 2, 3, 21, and 23, the Lord was with Joseph. 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 Joseph knew the Lord. He understood who he was dealing with. And he entrusted himself to the Lord's will. Why? Because he understood the Lord's character. He understood that God loves him. That God is powerful and God is just. Just like King David in Psalm 62 says, I know this, I'm going through all this difficulty. He is my strong tower. Why? Because I know this about him. 
that my God has steadfast love, that my God has power, and that my God at the end of all days makes all things right. In Isaiah verse, chapter 41, verse 10, it says this. God is saying this to you, my friend, to me. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, discouraged. Do not be in despair. Why? For I am your God. I will strengthen you. Do you hear it? He's talking to you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I am your God. Do you know God? Because if you knew God in the difficult times, when everything hits the fans, when things don't make sense, you have one thing that does not change. God is good, he is strong, and he loves you. It's going to make everything right at the end of days. So we see that trusting starts with proximity. We see that humble lives, though, are surrendered to a greater, listen, a greater purpose, a greater, a bigger promise, and ultimately, the almighty God. They're surrendered to his purposes, his promises, to his will be done. You see this in Joseph's life in chapter 50. He gives instructions as he's going to die. He says, hey, 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 take my bones. Take my bones from this place to the promised land. Why? Why is that important? He's going to visit you. He's going to deliver you. What does Hebrews say about that? Why don't we turn our Bible? Hebrews chapter 11. Let's, go, let's look there. We're going to see that Joseph sees himself as a tool in God's hands, as just, just a, a dash on a part of a bigger picture. It says this in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 22. It says this, By faith, this humble faith that Joseph had that we need, at the end of his life, all right, by faith Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. You're like, okay, you just said that. But how does that, how do, what, what does that mean? Let's look a little bit before this. It's referencing different men of faith. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. What does it say about these people in verse 13? These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. They knew it was coming. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. This is not my home. That's their acknowledgement. This isn't, this isn't what this is about. My lifespan, my birth date, my end date, that's not the summation. Okay? There's a bigger picture. There's something else at work here. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have opportunity to return. In other words, Joseph could have gone back to the promised land if that's what he was talking about. But he sends his bones on for something else. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. What is Joseph doing with his bones? Why does he care about his bones at the end of his days? He cares about it because he wants to be there at the resurrection. He realizes he's not home, but he's going home one day when Jesus comes again. 
And so as we examine his life, as we examine the timeline of his life again, we can see that though there are ups and downs, though there are backs and forth, at the very top, the thing that is calling him forward, the thing that does not change is his God and where he's going. What he ultimately wants isn't his dad's favor, isn't, isn't one of his boss's favors, isn't even the king of Egypt's favor. He wants God's forever favor. He wants to hear, well done, enter into my rest. Enter into my rest. What is, what is your hope? I've got a few questions to ask of you today. When tragedy and affliction comes, and it's going to, if you're not in the pit, you're probably coming out of the pit or you're going into the pit at some point. Amen? This life is full of difficulty. When that comes, what are you going to do? Are you going to look within for strength? Look within for your wisdom? Are you going to look horizontal for man's wisdom? For maybe other solutions to numb the pain that your heart and your soul are feeling? Where are you going to turn? Are you going to look in? Are you going to look out? Are you going to look up? Say, there's my Savior. There's the one in whom I trust, not me. I trust God. Will you do that? When tragedy and affliction comes, will you be close to the shepherd? Where will your proximity be? Will you have been with God on a daily basis? And therefore, when it hits the fan, so to speak, you know that though everything doesn't make sense, one thing does, I can trust that God. Will you be close to God when it happens? And in this life, it's filled with suffering, it's filled with tragedy and affliction. Will you examine your heart today and ask yourself, what is my goal? Why do I do what I do? Is my life ultimately about me? About this person? Or is it about God? And his purposes? What, what do I live for? Am I after favor here? Or am I after his favor forever? Jesus put it this way. Where are your treasures? Are they on earth? You're going to lose those. Those are a lie. Or are they heavenly treasures? Where they aren't destroyed? where they never leave. For example, what, what runs through your brain? What, what consumes your, your heart, your thoughts, your actions? You think of this fall. What are you doing this fall? What, you, you've already got stuff that's starting to creep into your schedule. Why is it on your schedule? Why are you doing those things? Do you examine your bank account and what you spent this last month? Why? Why do you do those things? What's your goal in doing those things? How are you using your greatest talents? Who's the focus? Who's getting the, the benefit of those talents and why? Don't let that drift past. You can, we can let that drift past. Why do you do what you do? Why do you have that attitude at work, at home, at church? What are you seeking? Another way of asking this is what reality are you living in? What reality are you living for? Are you after this life or the eternal life? 
Is this world your home? Or like Joseph, is he looking for another homeland? You put it in an example of me and my spouse. My spouse would say to me, my wife, she'd say, my home's where you are, honey. My home's where you are. But friends, we are the bride of Christ. Our home is not here. Our home is where he is. And he, having betrothed us, has gone to prepare a place for us that we might be with him where he is. And it's there that we receive all the blessings that our heart has longed for all along. You're going to have tests to this stance, this this humble trust. You're going to have tests to this viewpoint in your life. You're going to have, like Joseph, the highs, and you're going to have the lows. In the highs, what do you do? You start becoming self-sufficient, or do you remain dependent in humility? Do you start beating your chest and saying, look what I've accomplished? Or do you start pointing northward and say, look what God has accomplished? Maybe you're coming out of a pit and you've got wounds all over you. Maybe people have hurt you like Joseph's brothers have hurt him. Next week we're going to be talking about what to do when people have hurt you like that. How how do we respond in humility? Or maybe like Joseph, you're you're in this pit and you've been forgotten. And it feels like you've been there for a long time. Where are you going to turn? Are you going to give up on God? Or are you going to trust him? Are you going to trust yourself, another person, another solution? Are you going to look in? Are you going to look out? Or are you going to look up? Right now, I'd just like to share a story. It's a, it's a God story. It's a story of something that happened in my wife and I's life. And it's something that happened uh, four years ago, a bit more now. And it's, uh, it's something that was one of our tests as to where are we going to turn. And I want to share this story and, and realize this might be my testimony, but this testimony is not, look at this broken dude this weak dude. My testimony is look at the almighty God and what he can do. Some of you know this story. My wife and I were moving back up from Texas where I had been serving at a church. And uh, my family, we were staying with them temporarily, but they were down in in Haiti, my my parents and uh, my sister and my brother. And my other sister was still in town with uh, with my brother-in-law, my good friend. That would be important in this story. Uh, my wife and I were expecting our firstborn, a son, and uh, she was 24 and a half weeks along, and in the middle of the night, things were not going so well. Some pains, some things were happening that we just knew this isn't, this isn't right. So Summer calls Caitlin, my sister, Summer being my wife, and asks, what should I do? She says, go to Huntsville Hospital. You need to go ask them what's going on. So we went into Huntsville Hospital, and we were uh, greeted by a staff that took great care of us. But they quickly determined and said to us, you're going to have this baby. 
too far along, dilated, you're gonna have this baby, but, but you can't have it yet. You gotta fight every urge within you and you're already in the throes of labor, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to fight every urge to push because we can't care for your baby here. Now, I don't know what happens to you or if you've been in this circumstance yet in your life, but you get these moments that just knock you down. Make you feel little. See, I want to fix things. That's my nature. It's my self-reliance, honestly. And I can't fix this situation. And I know that no matter how hard my wife will try, and she would try and try for the next five hours while we awaited a team from Toronto to fight against labor. I know, though, as hard as we might work at the solution, the solution is out of our hands. This situation made us feel small. What would happen is after those five hours, just about five minutes before the team from Toronto would arrive eventually, she couldn't hold it any longer. <clears throat> she was weeping. No, not yet. Not yet. And Koa started to come. But there was a problem. He went breach last minute. Again, I can't control this. There's a lot of pain that ensued. My wife was not on any pain meds because she was not allowed at that point. And my wife is crying, screaming, and I can't do anything. I can't. All I can do is hold her. Say, please, God, please, God, please, God. He comes and uh, they work on him. It appears that it's not going to go well. He's got a lot of bruising, weak lungs, and a weak heart. They tell us it's not going well, and I've got a, kind of a crossroads going on here. What am I going to do? I can get really frustrated. I felt that ability to get really frustrated and angry right then. Or I could trust God. I didn't understand but I, I could surrender. So the Spirit of God literally inserted himself in this situation. I don't even know how or why, but I start to pray openly. And this room's filled with doctors and people, and I pray openly, and I, I pray about the gospel. Why? Because I think God wanted me to remember the gospel, the good news, how God saw me. I think my wife needed to know that. I think the staff that were working so hard he needed to hear the gospel. And he needed to surrender. God, have your will done. I believe you can do a miracle even now, but I surrender my son, my Koa, my firstborn to you. As things progressed, it kept getting worse. And he wasn't going to make it. They determined and basically said, would you like to hold him? As we're sitting in this room, and they've left the room at this point. I don't know what to do. Now, holding my son, I would fight anything and anybody to keep that guy alive. 
I would have given anything. It wouldn't have mattered. I would have, whatever, take me, keep him alive. But I can't. All I can do is say, I love you. All I can do to my wife is embrace her and say, I love you. I have no power in this, and I can't stop what's happening. So what do I do? I'm, I'm at a loss for words. But God showed us something. He's with us. I can't even explain it to you. It's like trying to explain his presence and his power. But the Holy Spirit speaks peace to me and speaks peace to my wife in this time. She's filled with the Holy Spirit, saying and singing a song that she didn't even know she knew. It's the doxology. Praise God, through whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. I never heard my wife sing that song. I tried to start singing along. I was pretty broken, honestly. She continued with Blessed Be the Name of the Lord and a few other songs. Right there, we knew God was with us. And yet that spoke comfort to us. We knew God was with us because the Holy Spirit was causing my wife to do something that's unexplainable in that moment. It's not our strength. It's not her strength. It's God's strength. Ultimately, what would come next was where we were rooted for the next months, even years of healing. She says to my son, she says this, that's how you sing, Koa. Go sing to Jesus. And I'm telling you, it's that statement that has resonated over and over again. We'd have to draw near to trust God through prayer. We'd have to draw near daily to remember who it is that is in control. There were times, there were times when we were leaning on other people and their prayers. We had the prayers of the saints, our family. We had people come around us. But it all come, came back to show us the same thing. God is with us, and the end is good. One of the really key moments for my wife was this. She was in a Bible study with ladies, and the question came up, am I the owner of my life or the manager of my life? God just, surrender my life. Even if I have to go through this time and time again, I will choose to make my life not about me, but about God. For me, it was the first Sunday we were back in, in worship together. And I had, see, I had sung this song, song a lot of times, but I didn't understand the Father's love. I had never experienced the Father's love. So how deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure, all measure, friends, that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. To make a wretch his treasure. How great that pain, that searing loss, the father turns his face away from his only son who he's been with forever and I had for moments. To bring many sons to glory that I might be with him. How can I not trust that God how could I not trust his power? He rose from the grave. How can I not root myself there 
in the character of who my God is, that he would love me? I would have fought anybody. He let, the, he let his son that he'd known for eternity go to the cross for me. He had the power to raise him up. How can I not trust God? How can that not be my response? I think I just want to say, as I think Joseph would say about his life, about his story, it's a victory. It's a victory not because of him, but because of God. Is that how you see your story? I'm going to ask you again, where are you going to turn? Who are you going to trust when nothing makes sense? When everything in you says this is not the way it should be? In, out, or up? You see, this story of Joseph just points and it's just a foreshadowing of a bigger story. You see, us people are just like the brothers. We got a lot of pride. We're a pretty messed up family. But another humble hero would come as our Savior. His name's Jesus. He came for you, for me, out of love. Will you trust him? You see, he took our affliction upon himself. He suffered the consequences of our sin, the wages of our sin, that he might offer us what? The gift of eternal life through him, through Jesus. My question is this. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? Maybe you've never trusted Jesus before. You can trust him today. He wants to deliver you from your biggest enemy, from sin and death. He wants to give you a hope of eternal life. Will you draw near to him on a daily basis for strength to get to know him and his character? Will you live for Jesus' purposes in light of his promises? Is he going to be the person that your life is really about? Will you humbly follow him as your Lord? Maybe you're a believer here today and you could be at the top or you could be at the bottom. But will you continue to trust him with a humble faith when it doesn't make sense? Will you continue to trust him in the low? Will you continue to trust him in the high? Will he be the one that you turn to on a daily basis? Will you live with his vision, with his calling on your life? Will you humbly continue to follow Jesus? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. But more importantly, let's bow our hearts and examine ourselves. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. In humility, do you need faith in him today in the pit? In humility, do you need to draw near to God more often in proximity? In humility, do you need to realize that your life isn't being lived in surrender to a greater purpose, promise, and person? Will you surrender to God's prompting in your heart today? Will you humble yourself that he might lift you up? Father, 
we declare right now that we set our hearts on you because you're trustworthy. Lord, we give you our whole life. We surrender every part of us. And we know we're doing it to a great God who has good plans for his children. Lord God, grant everyone here the grace to see that they need to trust you more. Grant them the Holy Spirit that they may surrender more today. Lord God, I just want to close by saying this. We long for the day like Joseph did when we get to see Jesus. Lord, in the meantime, help us to trust you every day and to live for you every day until we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest, my forever favor. Lord, root us in you more today, I pray in Jesus' name.